According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again for our second time now in Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, we uh, introduced the chapter last week and get our second look at it here this morning. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And we can use either a but or an and there. And I think the, it's okay as a but, but nevertheless, we'll we'll talk about it and the the nature of the poetry here in this verse. And then in verse 2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. And this too could also be an and as, as well as a but. Most of the uh, poetry in this chapter is and instead of but. <clears throat> they are synthetic or paral- uh, the parallelism is, is synthetic. And so uh, we have the agreement and the intensification. The A statement gets intensified with the B statement or it gets further explained, uh, which you'll see in verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. And so it's, uh, it's an intensification, it's a consequence. And uh, really the bulk of, of chapter 16 has more of those than the, uh, than the adversarial, the antithetical parallelism that we're accustomed to from previous chapters. All right, before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Let's ask our Father to show His faithfulness and uh, see if He gives us <laughs> the full hour or not, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your grace and truth, thankful for your faithfulness and all that uh, you would have for us to do day by day and moment by moment. We call upon your faithfulness this hour now, Father, and leave ourselves in your hands for your will to be done. Thank you for uh, the truth of your word and the blessing we have to study to show ourselves approved. We call upon your faithfulness now to open the eyes of our understanding, to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs 16. I, I, I do feel a migraine coming on, so if I, if I forget who I am, then I'll probably stop teaching. Um, that's the thing. It's, it's the strangest thing. I can, I can fight through the pain and not feeling well, that's fine. But when the amnesia hits and I forget who I am and I forget your name and I forget you know, what this book in front of me is all about, then, then probably that's the time I should stop preaching if, uh, if I can't remember what this book even is. So this is the Bible, and we're in the book of Proverbs right now, and so, so far we're good. (laughs) And we're looking at Proverbs 16. And really it continues a trend we saw from chapter 15, whereby many of the uh, antithetical parallelisms had been diminished. They were diminished in chapter 15, they're diminished even more in chapter 16. And uh, we have uh, many more of the the, uh, uh, synthetic parallelisms here in this chapter. Verses 1 through 9 portray the human divine tandem operations of God's wisdom in our life. And this is is an expression that I kind of coined for this chapter and I may tweak it a little bit as we proceed through. But what we understand is is that God works in us, right? We get that. God works in us. So that's a human divine tandem operation. And He works in us so far as we are taking in His Word. It's God's wisdom that works in us. And so he has much more to work with when we are living in the Word of God and when the Word of God dwells richly within us. 
uh, that's, uh, that gives fertile ground for him to work with, whereby we can bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. If, uh, if we are uh, the other soil uh, types there, if we're stony ground or thorny ground, then uh, there's much less for God to work with there because the Word of God does not take root. Because the Word of God falls on rocky soil and it doesn't, it doesn't spring forth, or it falls on thorny ground, and then the fruitfulness gets choked out. And so in those conditions there's much less for God to work with when He uh, wants to be at work in and through us for His good pleasure. And that's uh, what we're looking at here. So we're going to see in these verses uh, the hand of God working with us in a human divine tandem. It's like tandem parachuting. If uh, you're going to jump out of a plane with somebody, you probably should jump out of a plane with somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, I recommend, uh, of course, I, I recommend don't even doing it. But if you, if you have to do it, then uh, it's, uh, you know, do a tandem jump with somebody that's a professional that, uh, that knows what they're doing. But, like I said, just don't even do it at all. That's, uh, that's something else. All right. And so here's how God works in our life. That with plans, with uh, the things that we think about, with words, the things that we talk about, with deeds, the things that we do, and, uh, and we see the things here. And so starting with plans and the answer. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And uh, like I say, we could, we could take away the but and put an and in there, and I think the parallelism holds true as well, because oftentimes the things we think about don't end up coming out, and, uh, you know, or, or sometimes we say things that we didn't intend, or it comes out wrong, or it comes out different, all right? And so when that happens, whose fault is that? And is God still in charge? Yes, He is, okay? And so uh, it doesn't have to be adversarial. That's how it usually gets preached, is what I'm trying to say. And usually uh, it gets preached, uh, you know, man uh, proposes but God disposes, I think. Have you heard that? That's kind of a, a cliche way to, to preach it, and it's, uh, I guess, popular. But anyway, it doesn't have to be adversarial. And it can be, don't get me wrong, it can be, that we can have all these plans that are out of the will of God, that are, you know, the products of our own carnal imagination or whatever, uh, and, and in which case, it's good that God steps in and He overrules and, and then something else comes across verbally and then something else comes across in our actions. Um, that can happen, but it could also be uh, uh, cooperative. And it, we don't have to be out of the will of God. Was David out of the will of God when he planned to build the temple? He wanted to build the temple. And, uh, and Nathan said, it's, you know, it's a good thing to do. Not until it was revealed that night in a dream that God wanted Solomon to build the temple, and David was told, no, back off, you're not going to build this, it'll be in the next generation, not you, uh, that, uh, that then he had to change his plans and, and stop what he was doing. But the design itself was not bad, right? We're clear on that. The design itself was positive. So uh, it doesn't have to be an adversarial uh, contrast between the A part and the B part of this, of this poetry. So the plans of the heart belong to man, but or and, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Because it, the, the tandem happens. God is at work, not only in what we are thinking, but what we're saying and what we're doing and, uh, and all the rest. And so we have um, really uh, bookends from verse 1 and verse 9. And uh, these are your clues grammatically when you're looking at the text itself. We have the use of Adam in verse 1 and the Adam in verse 9 along with the Yahweh in verse 1 and the Yahweh in verse 9. Uh, Adam, of course, 
is the word for man or humanity. It, it uh, applies to the very first Adam ever. It took that as his name. And, uh, and then Yahweh, of course, is the, is the holy name of the Lord. And uh, we have them here in verse 1 and in verse 9. The mind of man plans his way, that is the mind of Adam plans his way, but Yahweh directs his steps. And so the contrast is with the tongue in verse 1, but with the actions in verse 9. And of course all of this comes together and is very true. Whatever we intend, uh, it may not come out that way, and that's okay. When we leave ourselves in the hand of the Lord and trust that what He wants said is what gets said. What He wants done is what gets done. We can celebrate and give, give Jesus Christ the glory. So those are the bookends and uh, allow us to really take verses 1 through 9 as a, as a poetic unit. We understand secondly that God is at work both in the thinking and the doing. He is at work both in the thinking and the doing. And this, of uh, course, we studied recently in, in Philippians, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So when you start with the thinking, that starts with the will. And the will speaks to the attitude, speaks to the orientation of the attitude. It really becomes attitudinal before those even the thoughts are shaped together into a coherent plan. You realize that plans take time, that plans are the, the kind of the culmination of many thoughts, that have that have come together and have have uh, you know developed a plan. So attitudinally precedes the uh, the conscious thinking, and God's at work there too. The the attitude of humility that God works with. So how does He do this? Does He do this with some kind of a cosmic power? Does He do this with some kind of a a feeling or a sense? Uh, do we are we just sitting somewhere one day and we just have this this warmth that enfolds us and we just feel extra holy today and we go. Ooh, I'm getting an idea from God right now, right? Is it, does that happen? Is it mystical? Is it, a, is it an emotional experience? Okay? Or does it happen as we are humble under the teaching of the Word of God and the Word of God shapes our thinking? Clearly, that's what it is. He shapes our thinking through His Word. And so we are in the assembly today and we are with our brothers and sisters today and the Word of God is being ministered today. And as we're filled with the Spirit, as we're learning, as we're growing, this is where God will be shaping our thinking. He shapes our attitudes and He uses the Word of God to do it. Proverbs 2 verses 10 and 11. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because we were here just last week, but by way of reminder... Verse 10 says, wisdom will enter your heart. This is Proverbs 2.10. Wisdom will enter your heart. It's an active agent. It does this. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Look what it does. It's an active agent. See, it's like a, I, sometimes I use pregnancy as my illustration on this because you have a, another entity, another being, another thing is inside of you that's not you right? It's because that's the baby, that's not you. And that is inside of you and it's alive. The Word of God is an active agent. And you take it into your soul. You receive it implanted. It's able to save your soul. It's an active agent. And just as a, you know, a pregnant woman will feel the, the kicking on the bladder or will feel the rolling around or the hiccups or other things like that, the Word of God does that. You feel the Word of God when uh, your soul gets, when your conscience gets pricked, when, when uh, conviction starts to happen. The Holy Spirit, He doesn't just shine upon you and make you feel bad at random times. He actually reminds you of particular Bible verses 
the, the particular Bible verses that address the darkness you're about to walk into or thinking about. And so that's where the conviction happens. That's how the work happens. So um, we see the active agent here. Likewise in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is so critical and it really is. It is a you know when the critics say oh you're so black and white you see everything as an either or and uh, <laughs> it's kind of sometimes if you want to mess with them you can say no I don't and then they say yes you do no I don't and then right there you've got an either or argument that's happening and and because uh, because generally speaking too they're going to be just all these sophisticated types that don't like you know they want to be nuanced and have the gray areas and have this full spectrum of what they're doing you know but when Scripture gives you an either-or thing, well then that's God's business. And He laid it out there that way. I believe there's a lot more either-ors in the Bible than, than folks pay attention to. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. You're walking in light or you're walking in darkness. These are the absolutes of the Word of God. And Romans 12 doesn't really give you a middle ground. It says, do not be conformed to this world. And, and that's, that's just what it is. And the antidote, the means by which you cannot be conformed to this world is the, is the corollary. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so those are your options. I'm here to tell you that's all you've got. You either get transformed by the renewing of your mind or you're conformed. You just, it's unavoidable. This cosmos is conforming. This world system is conforming. And the pressures of this cosmos and the wisdom of this world and the spiritual powers that drive those forces, they will, they will suck believers up into that mindset just like unbelievers. A carnal believer has a thinking process that's no different from an unbeliever when it comes right down to it. Because you're not using the Word of God that you should be. You're not using the Holy Spirit you should be. And so be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may demonstrate, you may prove the will of God that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Thinking precedes doing every time. And if your thinking is wrong, then the behavior will reflect that. And uh, that should be very clear. Same thing with Ephesians 4.23. So God does this. He's at work in our thinking, in our doing. He freely shows Himself in our words and in our deeds. He freely shows Himself in our words and in our deeds. The answer is from the Lord. The answer is from the Lord. And so it may be that we get surprised. It may be that we say something we weren't expecting, okay? And it may be a positive thing. It can be a great thing. It can be just something comes over us and we find ourselves preaching the gospel. We find ourselves uh, providing scripture. We, We find ourselves encouraging a brother. We find ourselves being used in a very powerful ministry way that we didn't expect. And, and then we walk away from that encounter and go, wow, what came over me? <laughs> that's not my humanity. That's not my normal, uh, that's not my normal personality. I'm usually, uh, I don't, I'm not comfortable around strangers. I can't believe that just came out like that and just came out in a torrent. Where in the world? That? Well, thank God, the answer is from the Lord. All right? And you didn't intend to uh, go into this place as an evangelist, but God intended to send you into that place as an evangelist. And so it happened. Okay? Same thing with your actions. The Lord directs His steps. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You know, my, my plan, I was going to be a homicide investigator by age 30. So I've missed that by 20 years and still hadn't happened yet. And uh, Well, I don't expect it to happen anytime soon either. 
as far as that goes, because uh, God's got a better plan. And uh, thank God for that. So, um, again, you can take it as a but, you can take it as an and in verse 9. It doesn't have to be a, a but or an and. The, the same, uh, the, the Hebrew uh, wow, the vav, can be the same conjunction connector, whether it's a but or an and. And uh, you can tell in context uh, what the applications are as you make them. So uh, you might have a positive plan. You may, like David trying to build a temple, you've got a positive plan. You've got something that you think is great. You know, and it's in the will of God. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But, you know, God's got other plans. And so uh, we say, not my will, but I be done. And you, you thank Him for, for His faithfulness. All right, and then self-reflection in verse 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. Self-reflection is often insufficient. Oftentimes, and it doesn't have to be willfully carnal either, it's just the human tendency to be content. The human tendency to, to not think it's so bad with whatever it is you're doing. You know, and you're looking at that, yes, yeah, that's, that's good enough. That's, that's, I'm okay with that. That's clean enough. And uh, then God inspects it and says, are you kidding me? You know, like the drill sergeant gives the white glove treatment and he finds all the, the dust you, uh, you thought he wasn't going to find. He will always find it, okay? And uh, you thought you could bounce a quarter off your bed sheets and he, he can't. So self-reflection is often insufficient. In fact, we, we, carnality does a good job at justifying everything we do. It's like, oh, I'm good with that. Oh, I'm good with that. And, uh, and it's amazing how in darkness you can call good evil and evil good how you can take a flat out sin and, and try to convince uh, you know, another believer that, oh, that's not a sin. It's, it's, God's okay with it. This is, this is what He would have for me to do. Wait a minute. Not at all. Quit trying to pull that. Scripture says otherwise. And uh, when God Himself does the examining, it's much better to call on the Lord to do the searching. And so what I love is Psalm 139, search me, O Lord. This, this ought to be a, a, a daily prayer. We can start our day with this. Uh, search me, O Lord, try my heart, know, uh, try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So just expose it. Father, open my eyes to see it. Highlight it. And uh, you know, don't let me get away with covering it up. Don't let me get away with acting like I don't see it. See? And, uh, and different things there. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God's the one that searches the hearts and the minds. God's the one that uh, does not follow, uh, fall in our own self-delusions. All right. So, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motive. So in this whole process, if we're going to give an overall outline to these first nine verses and recognize we want to engage in this divine human tandem. We want to engage in this uh, where, where God's work, Word is at work in our life, which means we need to be in fellowship, which means we need to confess what needs to be confessed. We've got to quit hiding the, the darkness we think we're getting away with it because all that is is just tripping us up. We're not going to do anything in carnality in, uh, in the will of God. So get in fellowship, let the Lord weigh the motives and uh, proceed from there. And then it says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. This is the, uh, the essence of not my will, but thine be done. You commit your works to the Lord. You say, Lord, I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to do your will. Uh, your plans will be established. And so this was point D. 
committing our actions to the Lord. What is this? This is the blessing of embracing the human divine tandem. This is the blessing of saying, it's not me anymore. The life that I now live, I live is, uh, by faith in the Son of God. It's, uh, it's now Christ liveth in me. It's not, I'm not just on my own. In the life that I live, uh, I used to live unto myself. No more. No more. Because now I live for Him who died for me. Now I live uh, no longer as I used to live in, uh, in that reality. And the thing is, this has always been the case. This has always been the case even before the Bride of Christ. It's more so now. It's much more, no, uh, more so now because of the, 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 the blessings of the church age. The fact that we are baptized in union with Christ, that we have the retroactive positional truth. All of the reality of being in the, in the royal family of God makes it all the more so. But even without that, from, from the age of the Gentiles to the age of the Jews and to the, the Jewish dispensation, they've always been co-workers, fellow workers with the Lord, workers with God. That is, they were, they were vested stewards, they had responsibility to learn the Word of God, they had the responsibility to give the gospel to a lost and dying world, they had a responsibility to, to do what they do as unto the Lord. And so uh, we see this in the Old Testament passages as well as the New Testament passages as well. The blessing of embracing the human divine tandem, not fighting it, not, not resisting it, right? If we're, if we're yoked together with Jesus Christ, then think about it. That means where He's walking, we're walking. You ever see two oxen that are yoked together and got that yoke around the neck and they're walked together like that? You know, well, if, if, if you put the strong oxen on the left, He's the lead oxen, the experienced one, and maybe the younger one, you know, learns from Him. But guess what? Where, where they're walking, they're not going to choose to go separate ways because that yoke has them together. That's how it should be with us walking with the Lord. If, uh, if He's going to take that left hand turn to a direction we're not comfortable with, well, <laughs> cooperate with the Lord and though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, hey, He's taking us where we need to be. And so, uh, you know, praise God that He's faithful in, uh, in these applications. So, um, Yes, as Proverbs 16.3, I think it's Psalm 22.8 when they were taunting our Lord on the cross and uh, He's hanging there on the cross doing the will of God. And they, uh, they're taunting Him saying, you know, commit yourself to the Lord, He'll get you off that cross. And they have it backwards. He was committed to the Lord, it's just why He was on that cross. He went to the cross totally committed to God the Father. And they taunted Him and tried to convince Him to come down that if, if God loved you Let's, let's just look at that real quick. Psalm 22. Because if you think the devil doesn't use Scripture to try to trip you up, think again. He will quote Scripture all day long if, if he thinks that's what it takes to, to trip you up. And so Jesus is on the cross. This is the my God, my God, why have you forsaken me chapter. David wrote this a thousand years before Jesus. And here's Jesus quoting it word for word while he's hanging there at Calvary. And he says um, in verse 6, I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of man and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They're, They're mocking him. He's dying for their sins and they're mocking him. They separate with the lip, they wag the head, saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him save Him. Let Him rescue Him. And in the, the vileness of their, of their darkness and their rebellion and their ugliness, they're, they're, they're using biblical language 
in, in just the, the diametrically opposed nature. Saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Are you kidding me? There's never been a believer more committed. That's why he's there doing what none of us could do. And yet, commit yourself to the Lord. It's like Job's friend showing up saying, repent. Are you kidding me? He did nothing to get what he was getting. And so his friends were wrong. These guys are wrong. Let him rescue him. Let him save him. How poisonous is that? He's up there doing the saving. You know, he could have called 10,000 angels to rip him off of there and, and blow up the planet. And he didn't have to go to the cross. Let him rescue him. If, you know, because, since. You can almost sarcasm here. Since he delights in him. Oh, really? Yeah, you're the beloved son, huh? I can tell, yeah. You're the beloved son. Three times the father opened up the, the heavens and said, behold my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now these mockers, these scorners, these ugly, ugly unbelievers are saying, well, since he delights in him, let him rescue him. Well, there you go. Anyway, when we embrace the divine human tandem, we, uh, we commit our ways to him. Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. He will do it. That's our, that's our prescription right there. That's the Christian way of life. And this is true in every stewardship. For the Gentiles, for the Jews, for the church, it's always the case that believers walking by faith, that's what it means there when it says, trust also in Him, He will do it. Walk by faith and watch what God does. This is a Christian way of life. Commit your way to the Lord. And so when you're committed to what the Lord has done, then, uh, then you have the order correct and you're not putting the cart before the horse and you're, you're not asking Him to bless what you're doing. You're doing what He's blessing and you have the, the order correct there. So this has been true in every human dispensation. Just read Psalm 119 and you see the, the love that that believer had for the Word of God. Read Isaiah 26 and you see it. Acts 17.28 Acts 17, 28. This is uh, normative. This is described as the course of human history. So ever since uh, God divided up the nations, ever since the Tower of Babel incident of Genesis 11, this has been the case. And so uh, his sermon here on Mars Hill, he's talking about the, uh, the blessings of, uh, of walking with the Lord and how individuals can walk with the Lord, how nations can walk with the Lord if you have a, a nation that's positive to the Word of God. And so um, he's on Mars Hill and he's, these guys have this... Uh, you ever visited the tomb of the unknown soldier? This is the, this is the altar of the unknown God. <laughs> okay, And this is... Uh, when, if you're going to be a, a polytheist, if you're going to have a polytheism and altars to all these gods possibly, uh, you might have missed one. And so in that case, you, you put this one up just in case to the unknown God. Well, Paul says, let me tell you about this God you don't know. And he tells him about the Creator and how He created us. And in verse 26, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. We're all Adamic. We're all descended from Adam. So he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. 
So it's all in his hands, all the politics, all the elections, all the, the boundaries and borders and everything. It's all in God's sovereignty. That they would seek God. And there's a purpose for this. He designs the nations and the people groups so that the Word of God can uh, be taught, that the Gospel can be preached. If perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. And notice what it says. For in Him we live and move and exist. This whole concept of a divine human tandem has always been the operation. That believers that allow the Word of God to shape their thinking from, from the earliest time, Cain and Abel, right? Abel let the Word of God shape his thinking. Cain did not. So who brought the better sacrifice, right? All right. It's always been the case. This human divine tandem whereby believers can live out the wisdom of God's Word in their life. So in Him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we also are His children. Isn't that hilarious? Paul quotes a pagan poet and uh, someone that not, not saved, he's burning in hell today, he's not a believer, he just happened to say something that coincided with something that was true from the Word of God, so Paul uses it. It says, here you go, being children of God and uh, partakers of the divine nature. So this has been true in every human dispensation, but it is most particularly true for the body of Christ. In Galatians 2.20, most particularly true. Galatians 2.20, how much more for us who not only do we have the Word of God, not only can we live in the Word of God, but Christ lives in us. This is new. This is unique. All right, let me find... Somebody stole Galatians. There it is. Galatians 2. And when you think about how we used to live and how we live now, and there's, there's different kinds of living, right? There's living and then there's living, really living. And uh, when you were an unbeliever, you weren't really living. You had physical life, you had biological life. Uh, the Greeks called that bios, B-I-O-S, bios life. You didn't have Zoe life. You didn't have the eternal life. That's God's life in Christ. And so um, it's described here in verse 19 of Galatians 2, through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. This is the blessing of, of being a New Testament believer priest. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's not me anymore. This new life I have now, it's not me anymore. That old life I had before I got saved, that was all about me. <laughs> you know, that was the old life, the life of an unbeliever, the life in Adam, the life that pursued the course of this world. Now I have a life in Christ, and so it's not me anymore. It's not all about me. It's not my felt needs. It's not the universe doesn't revolve around me because I've been crucified with Christ. How about that? Things change when you get crucified, don't they? <laughs> yeah. And that's what it means. And no Old Testament believer had this. I don't care. I mean, the greatest heroes from, from David to, to Job to Daniel to John the Baptist, the greatest among those born among women was John the Baptist. He was not crucified with Christ. 
He did not have. That's, that's what the, the baptism and sealing of the Holy Spirit is all about. It takes us and places us into personal union with the crucified, buried, risen, ascended, and seated Jesus Christ. We are identified with our Savior. And so no Old Testament saint could say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That's our unique position. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Unique to the church age, unique to the body of Christ. An Old Testament saint could learn the Word of God. He could be renewed and not conformed. He could, uh, he could have the, the, word of, uh, the Word of God richly dwelling within him as a, uh, as a born-again believer with a living human spirit. The, 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 the doctrine in his soul could still save him from sin, but he didn't have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the residency of, of, uh, of Jesus Christ as head of the church. These are unique to our stewardship. Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. This is my mother's favorite verse during her time on this earth. All right, Galatians 2.20. And so there it is. It's not me anymore. It's Christ. Christ lives in me. And when I lose sight of that, when I forget that, that's when I'm off into the, the weeds of carnality. Colossians 1 and verse 27 Another favorite verse here, Colossians 1, 27. And we notice that this is uh, something new, not previously revealed. It's called a mystery. Verse 26 calls it a mystery. And this is uh, not, a, not a Sherlock Holmes whodunit. It's, uh, this is uh, when God uses mystery, that means that he's withheld certain things from previous stewardships. And he deliberately withheld this revelation so that it could then be unveiled when it was unveiled for us in the body of Christ. And so this mystery, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints. That's us, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We've got the down payment already for what we're going to have for all eternity. We've got the earnest money of our inheritance. That's Christ in you. That's the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have these things now. Israel, their whole hope was in the future. Their hope was Messiah's coming someday. Someday Messiah will come. Someday Messiah is on the way. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's almost here. All right? And then they crucified him, and so now they're going all over again for a second advent. Messiah's on the way. The kingdom is coming. We have uh, a present hope. We live in the present living hope. We have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is uh, the blessings of what we have here in the church age. Christ living in me. So it's particularly true. And then 1 Corinthians 3, 9. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. And uh, you'll notice this is the, uh, the blessings of being in the body of Christ and uh, allowing this uh, divine human tandem to operate. True in every age, most especially true here. 
whereby we have workers and we have field and we're all the same. We're all in Christ. So verse 5 says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. What a better description right there than the divine human tandem operations. God's at work. Yes, he's got instruments, he's got tools that he uses like Paul and Apollos, but God's the one doing the work. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. When you have a divine human tandem operation going on, who gets the glory? Who can boast? Who can brag? Let him who brag, boast, boast in the Lord, right? Now he who plants and he who waters are one. That's the unity that we have in the body of Christ. And so we recognize that we're all fellow workers, fellow laborers, partakers. We're all a part of what Christ is accomplishing on behalf of the Father in our present stewardship. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And this is, this is marvelous. That means that we are the, we're the workers, but we're also the field where the work gets done, Right? Because all of us, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, that means you're part of the body of Christ. That means you have a gift, you've got ministry, you've got effects, all of these things. You're not just a spectator in, in, in biblical Christianity. And so you are a fellow worker with God. But you are also the field where that work gets done. See, because who are we here to serve? We're here to serve one another. We're here to edify one another. We're here to bless one another. And so we're the workers, we're also the field. Okay? And that's why it's, it's a, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a, the marvelous way in which the metaphor gets, you know, folded over on top of itself. So, yes, we're the farmers working in our field. We're the farmers, we're also the field. Okay? Does that seem weird? Does that bother you at all? I think it's marvelous. I think it's a great uh, reflection of what our Savior did because He went to the cross, He was the priest bringing the sacrifice, but He was also the sacrifice. Right? So this is not, a, not an alien concept where we can be the workers and the field. Or we could be the builders and the building at the same time. Because I'm building you and you're building me and, and we're all building one another and so we're both builders and building simultaneously. So, true in every age, particularly true for the body of Christ. All right. What else? So, plans, words, deeds, stay in fellowship, be cleansed, commit your works to the Lord, your plans will be established, get on board His will. And then if you're going to be in His will, how do you do that if you don't know His purpose, if you don't know His plan? Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. Why does he permit sin and rebellion? Why does he permit, did he permit Satan's fall? Why did he permit Adam's fall? Why does he work all things together for good, including the things that obviously are not good? Why does he tolerate the evil that uh, you and I wouldn't probably tolerate it? We, uh, why, why is he taller? Why is he so long-suffering? Whereas, you know, we look around and we say, well, you know, when I become emperor of this planet, there's going to be some changes around here. Let me tell you, I've got, I've got a list of, of my top five things I want to I get different when, uh, as soon as I'm in charge and 
I start calling the shots. All right, including a long list of people that will never again drive in the left-hand lane on 183. I'm just saying. So obviously, we're finite, we're relative, we're, we're uh, goofy in our, in our thing. But God, um, God has a plan, including evil. Now, He's not the source of evil. And he, does, he never forced Satan to commit his evil deeds. He didn't force Adam to commit his rebellion. But he will work things together for good to the point that it gives glory to Jesus Christ. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Even those that are thrown into the lake of fire will confess that Jesus is Lord. So, um, if we're going to fully embrace uh, our uh, human divine tandem, if we're going to fully be fellow workers with God the Father, when functioning in the human divine tandem, it is important to keep focused on the purpose and plan of God for everything He calls on us to do. When functioning in the human divine tandem, it is important for us to keep focused on the purpose and plan of God for everything He calls on us to do. If we lose track of the plan of God, we can find ourselves just like Peter, um, saying, oh no, Lord, this should never happen to you. <laughs> we can find ourselves like Peter, disagreeing with the plan of God and thinking that our plan is better. And saying, oh, no, 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 you, you don't need to die. You don't need to go to the cross. We'll, we'll keep that from happening, Lord. In fact, here's Peter going to grab a sword and single-handedly you know, fight off the entire Roman Empire. I, I don't know what he was going to do that night. Uh, Jesus went there to get arrested. And Peter grabs a sword and acts like he's going to keep that from happening. You know, everything that Jesus did was leading up to the cross, including the night in which he was betrayed. When he told Judas, he said, what you do, do quickly. And then he takes his disciples to the, to the garden where he can have his final prayer and his final testing. And he passes with flying colors and says, okay, now's the time. And, and that's when he allows himself to be arrested. Anyway, we have to keep our, our eye on the plan of God. And when we lose that, when we get disoriented, when we uh, confuse our mission with what we think our mission should be, oh my, uh, we, we forget different things. Oh, it's tragic. So 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Ephesians 1, 11, Ephesians 3, 11, Colossians 1, 16, so many passages that relate to this. We did basic doctrinal studies on the, on the will of God and on the plan of God. We've got to know both. I think you hamper yourself in knowing the will of God if you have no framework for the overall plan of God. You, you forget that we live in the age of grace. You forget that we're church age believer priests and not Old Testament uh, saints under, under law. We're New Testament saints under grace. You think that makes a difference? Of course it does. So many other things make a difference as well. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 8 1 Corinthians 8. <clears throat> I'm starting to feel the excedrin now, so I think we'll make it. <laughs> All right. 1 Corinthians 8. <clears throat> you know, other people get caught up in idolatry, and, uh, you know, we can just look at it and say, well, you know, there's no such thing, you know. Uh, Aphrodite's not real. Uh, even though Corinth has the, the biggest temple to Aphrodite in the world, a thousand priestesses, 
in the in the temple of Aphrodite. And uh, you know, if you have doctrine, you say there's no such thing as Aphrodite. Who cares? You know, there's just a bunch of demons, a bunch of fallen angels. They're posing as gods, but they're just fallen angels. They're just posers. So who cares? You know. So you go into the temple and and you you, you buy the meat. They got great meat, and uh, take it home. You know, thank the Lord for His provision. And uh, you didn't go into the temple and carry on with the priestesses in there. That was you didn't do any of that. You just went and got the meat and came home. But other believers in church were a little bit bothered by that. You went in there, you got that, you went in there, are you sure you didn't do anything while you were in there? How do I believe you? I know what happens in there. Okay. And how many of these believers at Corinth, how many of the church members in Corinth used to be in that temple, priestesses and whatnot? See, Anyway, so they had a lot of hang-ups and they had a lot of things. And there's a lot of things. When you encounter brothers and sisters and they've got, they've got struggles from before they got saved, that's a big deal. Don't mock that. Pray for that. Love that. Serve that. Be aware of that. If there's something they're touchy about, if there's something that, that they're very sensitive about, you know, don't just slap them and say, hey, get doctrine and get over it. You better, you better pray with them and love them and patiently work with them as they get over it or not. So, um, anyway, this is why it says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so uh, concerning the thing sacrificed to idols, we know there's no such thing as an idol in the world, that's verse 4, and that there's no God but one, so hey, there you go. But then, even if there are so-called gods, they're just posers, whether in heaven or on earth, indeed there are many gods and many lords. There's no shortage of idolatry in our world. But for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom we are all things. We exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. So get oriented to the plan of God. Understand the Father-Son dynamic. Understand the plan of God, why the Father sent the Son, why the Son obeyed the Father, what they're doing when He says, I and the Father are one. What we're doing with the Father working in us, with the Son working in us, understand the plan of God. And then you can come alongside your weaker brother who's not on board with the plan of God and, uh, and you can encourage him. Because not all men have this knowledge and you have to be gracious towards them. Alright, so that's 1 Corinthians 8. How about Ephesians 1.11? Ephesians 1.11 111 and 311. I don't know that I've ever put one verse on the slide without putting both verses on the slide because they're so they're so linked. But understand who we are in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's why it's a little slightly amusing when somebody addresses you with a God bless you statement. Of course, he already has. He's already blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But I still appreciate the sentiment when you want Him to bless me more. Um, And then we have that we're part of His plan which is headed towards the fullness of time that's verse 10, with a view to a dispensation suitable to the fullness of time. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. 
in Him also we have obtained an inheritance. So realize the church age, as great as it is, is a step along the way taking us to the fullness of times. All right, The church age is not the crescendo. It's not the pinnacle of His plan. It's the calling forth of His bride. It's providing a bride suitable for His Son, but it's not the, the pinnacle of His plan. The pinnacle of His plan is the fullness of times in verse 10. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. You think it's important that you know the plan of God? Of course, because that's what He's pursuing. He is working all things, not many things, not most things, not a lot of things, everything. According to His purpose, who works everything after the counsel of His will. We have got to get on board with the plan of God. Over to chapter 3. Over to chapter 3. Yes, the church age is amazing. Yes, this is, uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but what's he doing in this church age? Well, 3.8 says, uh, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Why is it unfathomable? Because it was mystery. He never revealed it. He never, I mean, he gave some hints, but he never revealed these unfathomable riches until he unveiled them to us in the church age. Now we fathom the unfathomable because we're in Christ. And to bring to light what is the dispensation of the mystery, church age, which for us, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. You know, he made his wisdom known through the Gentiles. We got the book of Job. He made his wisdom known through the Jews. We've got Proverbs and the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Now he's making his manifold wisdom known through the church, through the body of Christ, with both the Hebrew canon and the Greek canon, with the whole counsel of the Word of God. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Essentially, I mean, if you want to boil it down, the dispensation of the church is show and tell. God the Father is manifesting manifold wisdom to the fallen angels, and He's using us to do it. And this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice what it's called? An eternal purpose. It's not a backup plan. It's not plan B. This isn't a, you know, He didn't panic and switch to this after Israel let Him down. The church is not a backup plan. It's not replacement theology. It's not plan B because uh, it didn't work out so well with the Jews in the Old Testament. It was always plan A. It was always the program. It is called an eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. You think that's important? You think we ought to know what the plan of God is? If we're going to function in the human divine tandem, it is important to keep focused on the purpose and plan of God for everything He calls on us to do. You may not have to like it, and you probably won't like it. I don't think the cross was pleasant, but He went. Take up your cross and follow Him. Finally, uh, Colossians 1.16 Colossians is the Christological parallel to Ephesians. Ephesians is a paterological parallel to Colossians. He wrote them back to back 
and I think he wrote Colossians first, and then he wrote Philemon to go with it, and then after uh, afterwards, then he wrote Ephesians, and uh, gave the full um, gave the full uh, of Ephesians. Anyway, um, thanks be to God that in Colossians one thirteen he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, God Himself filled out your change of address form, right? You're no longer in that domain of darkness. You now belong. You are a citizen. You are fellow heirs with the saints. Transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now Old Testament saints got saved. David had redemption. David had the forgiveness of his sins. But David was not in Christ. Again, Positional truth reality applies to us. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created. So the Father said, do it, the Son did it. The Father is the architect, the Son is the carpenter. The Father is the planner, the Son executed the plan. God said, let there be light, Jesus made the light. Okay? Every let there be is the Father's declaration, and when it was so, the Son got it done. By Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. Everything. If it has come to be, it's come to be through Him. Apart from Him nothing has come to be of all the things that have come to be. John 1, 1. All right. By Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That invisible realm And in Genesis, none of that's mentioned. In Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth, and then we have six days of earth, visible. Six days of the physical uh, dimension. Six days of of the earth perspective for Adamic occupation. Not a nothing on the invisible realm is given in Genesis 1. Nothing in the invisible realm is given in Genesis 2. But boy howdy, in Genesis 3, that serpent shows up. (laughs) Where'd he come from? Okay. Well, that's because there's more questions in Genesis than answers in Genesis, and, and uh, we have to put these things together to rightly divide the word of truth. So, he created everything, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Now here's the key. All things have been created through him and for him. Purpose clause, and for him. Don't ever lose sight. The plan of God centers on Jesus Christ. Everything in the plan is for Jesus. Everything in the plan is for God the Son, the God-man, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not for you, it's not for me. He saved you, great, but that wasn't for you. It was for Jesus. He saved me, happy. I don't want to go to hell when I die, but it wasn't for me. It was for Jesus. It was for Him. To give a bride to His Son. To give a bride corresponding to Him. Remember when Adam was looking around and there was no helpmate suitable for him? And he named all the animals and he's looking around and there, there, was, there was nobody corresponding to him. And he named every animal and he saw the, all the, of course, the male-female operations as they were happening and looking around and where's mine? Where's my helpmate? Where's my, how am I going to be fruitful and multiply? I'm by myself here. <laughs> all right. How am I going to image God? And so God puts him to sleep, takes the rib and there he goes. And so a helpmate suitable to him. What's he doing with the bride of Christ? 
What's he doing in the church age? God the Father is providing a, a bride corresponding to Christ. And so greater than Gentile saints, greater than Jewish saints, greater than millennial saints, greater than tribulational saints, greater than any saints, the bride of Christ. Because we're the bride suitable to His Son. That's powerful. Do we earn, that's grace because we don't deserve that. Who do we think we are? Okay, we can't boast. Not at all. He chooses the things that are not that He can nullify the things that are. So He creates a plan of grace whereby He takes the most unworthy recipients and He gives them the greatest glory ever to be baptized into union with Jesus Christ. It's, it's unbelievable. Alright, so keep the plan and the program in view. That's why from time to time we try to, uh, to bring this up and we try to show the different things. Try to remind ourselves of where we are in the plan of God. The realize, like when you walk into a mall and the little X is there, it says you are here. What, so you know what entrance you came in and where all the other stores are and the layout and stuff. Because uh, the last thing you want to do is just roam the place for hours. You want to get in, get, get out, and get gone. That's the, that's the commando raid you do when you go to the mall. Um, okay, that's what I do when I go to the mall. Which, honestly, I can't remember the last mall I ever went to. I mean, it hadn't been this year or recently. I know that. All right. I'm telling you, Amazon comes to my house multiple times. Multiple times a week. But understand, we are in the church age. And understand, in the church age, we're not angels, we're not Gentiles, we're not Israel, and we're not in the tribulation yet, we're not in the millennium yet, we're certainly not in the new heavens and the new earth yet. Do we know where we are? Okay. And uh, somebody trying to convince me the other day that in a preterist mindset that Satan has been bound and so we're in the kingdom. And I'm like, Satan's bound? In what world are you living in? Hello? What color is the sky in your world? This is crazy. Satan's not bound. He prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to devour. So understand we're church age saints. Also understand that in the church we have two separate ages. The age of the apostles is not now. Okay? We don't do the tongue speaking. We don't do the miracles. We don't do the, the prophetic utterance. We don't do all those charismatic gifts from the first century. Because that was the apostles and the prophets laying the foundation for the church age. That was for the validation of the canon of scriptures. The authors of the New Testament text were giving Greek scriptures to be added to the Hebrew scriptures. We don't have apostles and prophets anymore. We are not only are we in the church, we are in the age of the local church, whereby we function with shepherds and flocks, whereby we function with elders and deacons and deaconesses. Why do we do these things? Because we know the plan of God. We are on board with the plan of God. And what's happening next? Well, a trumpet's going to sound. And that could be today. It could be today. But I'm, I'm out of time. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your truth. I pray, Father, that you would continue to open our eyes to this truth. That we can see how simple it is. Proverbs lays it out. Walking in wisdom. Fellow workers with you. Functioning in a divine human tandem. Because, Father, you're the one that's at work. From, our, from the plans we make, to the words we say, to the, to the steps we take, to the places we go, the things we do, I ask, Father, that we fully embrace this tandem 
and get on board with your plan and program and stop trying to do our own thing. Stop trying to, to, to do it our way. Let's just do it your way, Father, and give your Son the maximum glory. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.